Well, good morning. Uh, my name is Gabe Coyle, and I'm the campus pastor here at Christ Community's downtown campus. And it's such a joy to be with all of you uh, on this beautiful Easter morning. Um, you know, as I was thinking about this passage, I instantly started thinking about my own fears. And one of the things that scares me the most, things that gets my heart racing and my feet moving faster most than any other thing, are bees. Now, yes, you heard me right, bees, and it's not really just bees, but hornets, wasps, yellow jackets, and all their cousins freak me out, okay? Um, and, and part of this, too, was because when I lived in Mississippi as a child, we had this house that was built during the Civil War era. And on the outside of the siding, up near the attic, there was this huge colony of bees. I never know why we never got rid of them. But instead, what we did was we would pay honey harvesters to come and collect this liquid gold, right? And I have plenty of stories of bees being enraged by little boys throwing rocks at their hive, you know? Of course, little boys are exploring, you know, how far can we press the bounds? But that's not the weirdest thing. The weirdest story actually happened when I was in college. It was late one night. They used to call me Grandpa Coyle because I'd always go to bed early. <laughs> just, as, just an aside. And, and I was going to bed, and it turned out everybody else in my hall wanted to watch a movie. And they wanted to watch this movie in my dorm room. So I'm up in the top bunk, slowly falling asleep, uh, despite the rumbling of the subwoofer, you know, next to the bed. And I feel this tickling on my scalp. You know, I'm half asleep. Slowly, it wakes me up, and I realize that something's crawling in my hair. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I run my fingers through, and I feel something, and then that something starts buzzing. So, yeah, you know where this is going. Uh, so I throw it down to where the guys were sitting, <laughs> and I jump out of bed, flip on the light, and those guys were screaming like seven-year-old girls. And on our makeshift table, you found a very angry, wounded, but very large hornet. <laughs> yeah. The good news of this story is everyone left my room for the night. Um, the bad news is so did I. Uh, I was scared to death that there was another hornet in there who was ready to take revenge for his lost compadre who died swiftly underneath a flip-flop, you know? So I went to a buddy's room, slept on his couch, and I still didn't sleep very well. You know, we can think about these stories, and sure, they're ridiculous. They can make you laugh, and thanks for laughing at my fears. Happy Easter um, <laughs> to you, too. Um, but, but what if it didn't end so well? Whatever that means, you know, what happens? I get a nasty sting on my head or something. Now every time I hear buzzing behind my ears, <laughs> I irrationally start waving my hands and look like a crazy person playing air drums, thinking that if I wave my arms right? I'll deter the bee rather than, in, you know, enrage it all the more, which is usually what happens. It just wants to sting you out of anger. Um, at least that's my thought process and my irrational fear. Fear, you know, it's a strange emotion, isn't it? Fear, it can make you run faster than you thought possible. But on the flip side, it can paralyze you to the point you can't even lift a finger. We can look back on some of these stories where we were very frightened and we can laugh them off now, but fear is anything but a laughing matter. Fear, it can control us. Fear, it can destroy us and enslave us. Kids, right? We as grown-ups, we so easily make light of so many of your fears that you feel. Sometimes you're afraid of swimming. Learning to swim is a scary thing. 
getting on a roller coaster for the first time, going to school for the first time, and you feel those fears. We all wrestle with fears, whether it's the fear of losing someone we love, the fear of hearing the doctor say, you really should get that checked out, the fear of rejection, fear of failure, fear of messing it all up. And we actually have this term in English. It's actually been translated into every language where fear is a common component of every day of our lives. It's called anxiety, right? This incessant worry, this fear of whether things are going to actually work out the way we plan. And I was recently reading an article in The Atlantic called Surviving Anxiety. And the author, Scott Stossel, he's wrestled through anxiety most of his life. And he writes, one in four of us can expect to be stricken by debilitating anxiety at some point in our lifetime. And then he writes, in 2012, Americans filled nearly 50 million prescriptions for just one anti-anxiety drug. I'm going to probably mess this up. Um, Aprazolam, the generic name for Xanax. And it's not anything to say against chemical help in times of anxiety, but it's a great sign of the fear that we live in in our culture, right? Fear dominates our lives. I mean, think of what happened this past Sunday. Can you remember the terrible tragedy? International news in our very backyard where three are gunned down simply because of hate. What kind of world do we live in where this happens? The boy, one of the victims, just a young fellow, um, he was engaged with our ministry partner, the Culture House, and a couple young girls at our Leewood campus knew one of the victims very well. You imagine the pain and the loss. And no matter your background, no matter your story, whether you're Jewish or not, whether you're a Christian or not, whatever your story is, when we hear news like this, we can't help but simultaneously, one, be brokenhearted, two, be outraged at injustice, but three, also contain a level of fear, right? Fear. We all know the painful realities of fear too well, and it hurts. So before we dive into our text, one that's going to deal with fear very well, I want to pray for the victims of this past week and also just pray for us. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, a God who is more powerful than death and one who's at war with injustice. As we come this morning, we come carrying our own wounds and fears from the weak. And we can't help but feel the pains of those who surround us in our city We can't help but hear the resounding shots that rang out in our metro this past week or the shots fired on 435. May you comfort the families engaged in this terrible tragedy. May they know your presence in this time of loss. And Father, we pray for the perpetrator. We pray, Lord, for him as well that you would break through his hard heart of hate and save him from himself while there's still time. And finally, God, even now as we pray, break through our hard hearts that we might know you and your work in the world through your son, Jesus. It's in his name we pray this morning. Amen and amen. Now, some of you are probably thinking, Gabe, come on, really? Easter, we're stepping into this heavy topic of fear. What gives? I mean, how many of you, when you woke up this morning and thought Easter instantly got goosebumps? Anyone? Maybe, okay, one of you. Uh, But maybe some of you were afraid because you really hate church and you're here because a family member invited you. Or maybe 
Some of you are here and you're scared to death of Easter because of laporophobia, which is the fear of bunnies. Um, it's not the fear of hornets, uh, but it's a very real fear nonetheless. Um, Matthew, whom's, who, who, who's the first, uh, he's the author of the first book of the New Testament, of which it's named after, he's one of Jesus' first disciples. He saw this whole thing go down. And he wrote it down so that we might be able to enter into this story with him, that we might know what he knows, that we might see what he sees. And from the moment of Jesus' death all the way to his glorious resurrection, we see fear creeping in everywhere. In this storyline, everyone is afraid. The soldiers are afraid. The religious leaders are afraid, even his disciples. And as I was reading the Easter story afresh this year, I was struck with how their fears in the first century are so similar to the very fears we wrestle through today. Yeah, I know. Look, today is a day of celebration. It's a day where we stand on the rooftops and we shout, Jesus has risen, and he has risen indeed, and we get excited about this fact. But with all the fears, the hurts, and the pains that we carry in throughout the week, the author of this gospel account, Matthew, he doesn't want us to miss this life-changing reality that's made possible through the resurrection of Jesus. Yes, Jesus is alive, but his resurrection, his resurrection is the death of fear. His resurrection is the death of fear. If you haven't already, would you turn with me in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28? We're going to spend a little time in Matthew 27 as well, but primarily Matthew 28. And some of you aren't convinced that this resurrection of Jesus is actually a scary story. Um, And maybe there's even more of us who aren't sure how this could mean the death of fear, the death of your fears, the death of my fears, the death of our fears. So let's take a look. Well, first, we're going to look at the Roman soldiers, but not the ones at the tomb first. Let's go back to the crucifixion in Matthew 27. While Jesus is dying on the cross, it's midday, and yet it's as dark as midnight. Some people are starting to quake with fear already with this reality. And as soon as Jesus breathes his last breath, an earthquake shakes the world around them such that rocks are split in two, according to the eyewitness testimony we have. Matthew says, When the centurion and those with him were guarding Jesus, saw the earthquake and all that had happened, they were terrified and exclaimed, Surely he was the Son of God. Now, it's easy to look back and think, man, way to go, soldiers. You finally got it. This is the Son of God. This is Jesus, the Messiah. You've done it. You've figured it out. But I want you to put yourself in their sandals for just a second, okay? They had pretty, already a pretty rough job. They were an executioner. I mean, these are Roman soldiers, and they're watching people put to death. And now you've killed the guy that everyone's talking about, this Messiah, this Son of God, or whatever they're saying. And when you stab his side to ensure that he's dead, like you were told to do, the ground beneath you begins to shake. What's your response? (laughs) Whoops, that wasn't me. Uh, I was just doing what I was told. And then as soon as they start to hear the rumors of the resurrection, that Jesus is alive, imagine what's going through these soldiers' minds. They're the ones who nailed the nails into Jesus' hands and feet. They're the ones who applied the lashes to his back. And now, he's back. You know, like, yeah, 
From them, I mean, what are they thinking? Oh, payback is coming for sure. Imagine the insults that they were throwing at Jesus while they are doing these abusive physical realities to them, the emotional abuse and the verbal abuse. So Matthew tells us the soldiers are absolutely terrified. They're afraid of what they've done. And the rumors, they spread through the ranks to the point that when an angel does appear at the tomb, as was read, of course they're going to be paralyzed like dead men with their fear. All of these signs, these wonders, these amazing, amazing things of the one who has just died, and now here comes this bright angelic figure as best as we can tell. Of course I'd be freaking out, right? But the soldiers weren't the only terrified souls here in this story. What about the religious leaders? <laughs> They're the ones who orchestrated the whole crucifixion in the first place. Jesus threatened their power, their image, their plans, their very way of life. And so they killed him. But they're paranoid, even right after his death. The day after, they go and talk to Pilate. And right here at the end of Matthew 27, it says, they, they, they say to Pilate, Sir, we remember how that imposter said, while he was still alive, after three days I will arise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people, he has risen from the dead, and the last fraud will be worse than the first. So they went and made the tomb secure, or the tomb secure, by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So on Sunday does, in fact, roll around, as it does every week, right? Um, His body goes missing. They've gone through the most thorough precautions to help guard this body from being stolen. And now their worst fears become a reality. The body's gone. So with nowhere else to turn, they bribe the guards. In verse, verses 20, or chapter 28, verse 13, tell people his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this is the story that has been spread among the Jews to this day. I mean, they're petrified. They're as solid as rock here, just absolutely scared. And Jesus was such a corrupt, I mean, he was such a threat to their corrupt way of living that even a rumor of his resurrection could begin to crumble this very structure they've been fighting and killing to keep alive. They wouldn't go down without a fight. If the resurrection was true, it would ruin all their plans. So it couldn't be true. You see the difference? The the resurrection couldn't be true for them because they had too much to lose. And maybe some of you feel this way this morning. In a very real sense, it's easier not to believe than to believe. Because if Jesus did rise from the dead, that means you're not the ultimate authority in your life. That means you're accountable to someone bigger than you. And so we throw around the idea of doubt as a way of keeping ourselves distanced from the resurrection, keeping ourselves distant from God's work in our life. Now, interestingly enough, um, any attempt to argue against the resurrection has to explain what happened to the body, right? We have to figure this out. Uh, And Matthew, who was around then, he shows us that all of these eyewitnesses, the soldiers, the religious leaders, the disciples, they're all still alive while he's writing this. The best response the religious leaders could come up with were rumors. I mean, this is the the cultural weight of our tabloids. They got zero evidence, zero. All they needed to do was produce Jesus's body, cold, hard evidence. I mean, I've been to Jerusalem. Jerusalem isn't that big. 
The religious leaders weren't that lazy. The soldiers weren't that stupid. Disposing of a dead body isn't that easy. So why didn't they produce a body? Because there was no corpse. The burden of proof is on those who disagree to try to figure out what happened to the body. And the best we can have are rumors if you do not believe in the resurrection of Jesus. But it's not just those who are opposed to Jesus that are afraid here in this story, which was interesting for me to think through again. We actually find his disciples are afraid as well. Have you ever thought about that Saturday after Good Friday? I mean, all of their hopes and dreams are crucified with Jesus on the cross there before them. And now it's the Jewish Sabbath. It's the day of rest. And locked behind closed doors, they begin to ask the question, were these three years, were they a waste? Was this all for nothing? Is this really meaningless? And then the sinking feeling, maybe I'm next. So imagine the fear they're going through. And then Sunday comes around for the disciples. And just before dawn, two women, Mary Magdalene and another Mary, um, they're on their way to the tomb. And we know from some of the other gospel accounts that they're going to anoint the body of Jesus, which is interesting because the tomb is sealed and there are guards there. So they don't even know necessarily how they're going to get in, but they're going to go and they're going to see what they can do. But on their way, their lives get shook up. When we're on our way to see Jesus, our lives tend to get shook up. Heaven breaks open. This angelic being shows up and the earth quakes at the response of heaven being open before them. I mean, it it scares the guards so much that they pass out, that they're like dead men. And this angelic being, he rolls the stone back and he kind of almost nonchalantly sits on top of the stone, right? I just picture this guy or this angel uh, just chilling out on top of the stone, which I always picture like strong, mighty, standing, chest puffed out. I wonder if he's having like a cafe latte or something. Um, that's my own imagination. That's nowhere in the text. Um, and, and think about this. We can see lightning from miles away. But here in the passage... This angelic being is described as being like lightning. Imagine that feet before you, persistent, consistent radiation of intense light. Of course the soldiers are going to pass out. And then he looks at the two Marys, and what does he say? Do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He really did die. You're right. He's not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come see the place where he lay, then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead, and behold, or check this out, he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they go into this etched stone tomb. There's no other way out but the entrance, and it's empty. This is also one of those times where my imagination started running wild with the angel. If there's a pause right before C, I have told you, like if they're running around looking in the tomb and he goes, C, I told you. Um, But then as they see that Jesus is not in the tomb, they run out full of tears, but also joy and smiles, great fear and great joy, the text says. And as they're running, they run into Jesus. And what does Jesus say? Greetings. You know, I as we wrestle through how to interpret this, it's more than, hey, how are you? 
But the undertones of this greeting have the sense of great joy. It's much more like Jesus when he comes to Mary and Mary and he says, it's so good to see you. It's so good. It does my heart well to see you. It's the language of joy when Jesus sees his disciples. This is good news. And then when he says this simple phrase to them, what do they do? Do they give him a high five? Yes, you're back. Do they give him a hug? No, they fall to his feet. They fall to his feet. And the language here is very important. They don't fall to the idea of his feet. They don't fall to a spiritual movement of his feet. They don't get winded and start, you know, uh, hyperventilating and have an imaginatory idea that his feet symbolized his mission and now we embrace his mission. No, they took hold of his physical feet, his resurrected feet, the very same feet that walked the roads of Jerusalem, the very same feet that were nailed to the cross. And when they held on to his physical feet and his physical resurrection, they began to ascribe glory, honor, and praise to him and him alone. This isn't something you do to a teacher who's nonchalantly just strolling through the cemetery, okay? This is something you do to the only God who can defeat death. Now, in reaction, um, we may say, or you may say that these ladies were nuts, or that they were just completely wrong and are lying about this whole thing. And many do. Um, In fact, one of the important affirmations about the resurrection is that actually the first two witnesses were women. Now, let me explain, okay? In this culture, if you were trying to start a movement based upon deception and this really clever scheme, you'd go about making it as believable as possible, finding the most credible witnesses in your community. And in the first century, women were seen as hysterical. Their witness did not give basis in the court of law. So to then have your first two witnesses be women would not have been a very smart scheme. And this actually goes to show the reliability of the gospel and of the resurrection. It's not this carefully crafted scheme that first, or Peter talks about in his second letter. This isn't some crafted scheme. This is eyewitness accounts. And the eyewitness accounts of these women were so believable, the encounter so true that it surpassed the cultural weight of the day. They had to believe. And what does Jesus say in response to their worship? Oh, silly women. Only God the Father is worthy of worship. Get up. No, he doesn't. He embraces their worship. And he instead says, do not be afraid. We wrestle through fear so much. And he says, do not be afraid but go get some more of my disciples and meet me in Galilee and let's do this again. (laughs) Let's keep doing this. I'll meet you there. And so they go. You know, so often when we think of Easter, what do we see? We see spring colors and Cadbury eggs, right? Um, But that's not what we see in this story. And the historical eyewitness account of those who encountered Jesus. Some of us here who are wrestling through doubt may say, if I was there, I would believe. If I was there, if I could see, if I could touch him, I would believe. Really? Hold on just a second. These were three terrifying days. Jesus was crucified on the cross so that everyone abandoned him except for a select few. The second day, on Saturday, it's utter silence from God asking, where is he? And then on the third day, his resurrection is so intense, people are passing out. 
And then at the end of Matthew 28, Jesus does show up to his disciples. And what do we see? Some still doubted. Some still doubted. Some were still afraid. And yet the resurrection of Jesus, it doesn't just cause fear. Yet when it is believed, it kills our fears. It kills our fears. It's a story of good news. I mean, Scripture proclaims when the Apostle Paul is writing the church in Rome, he says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart, what? That God raised him from the dead. The resurrection is critical to our faith. If you believe this, then you will be saved. Then. Resurrection is the death of fear. And I think it's uh, most vividly seen in what I believe are our three biggest fears today that we wrestle through, regardless of what stage of life you're in. Um, And they're conveniently laid out for us here in Matthew as well. First, we have all had times where we have this fear over what we've done. It sweeps over us like a dark cloud. And, And maybe, just maybe, you hear that and you think, well, I'm not really... I'm not really sorry for what I've done. I haven't really done anything that bad. And yet you know the painful reality of regret, don't you? Almost every one of us in here knows the painful reality of regret. We can try to hide it. We can try to shove it down. We can try to deny it. But it's a real reality and we have to deal with it rather than just shove it down. I mean, those who say that there are no shoulds or should nots, those who say... That, that lying isn't wrong, lust isn't destructive, hate isn't cancerous, but are learning opportunities to become better people. These are the same people who get ticked when we lie at them, the same people who are confused when you hate them, and the same people who honk at you when you cut them off in the parking lot, yes? We know deep down, if we're honest with ourselves, there are moments of regret. There are shoulds and should nots, and there are plenty of things in our lives that we wished we hadn't, hadn't have done. And the fear of what we've done and the consequences that come from those actions sweep over us with the resurrection. The fear of regret is replaced by the promise of forgiveness. It's only through Jesus's death on the cross that forgiveness is possible. He took this punishment we deserve for disobeying the holy, loving God upon himself on the cross. And on the third day when he arose, it was this miracle This outlandish sign that was an affirmation of the sufficiency of his death. You see? It was the affirmation that all he had said and all he he had done was true because only God could defeat death. No one else has said that. No one else has done that. Even the soldiers in this scary story, they have the opportunity to be forgiven. Johnny Cash and his song, Down There by the Train. I'm a Johnny Cash fan. He uh, he captures this, I think, really poetically when he sings, if you've lost your hope, if you've lost all your faith, I know you can be cared for and I know you can be safe. And all the shamefuls and all of the whores and even the soldier who pierced the side of the Lord. Jesus died for the worst. And in a very real sense, we're all the worst. The gospel message proclaims to each and every one of us that we're just as wretched as a murderer but we're just as loved as Mother Teresa, you know? Or let's make, it, let's make it very biblical. We're just as loved as the Son of God in the gospel because of what Jesus has done. So what's this next step in stepping out of the fear of what we've done? 
Turn to Jesus. Admit that you have sinned. Admit that you have offended a holy God and repent from your wrongdoings. And then believe that by God's grace you have been forgiven on no account of your own, but solely based upon Jesus. It's the only way to quiet your fears before God. It's the only way that we read in Hebrews that we can come boldly before the throne of grace. But for some of us, our greatest fear isn't over what we've done. It runs deeper than that. It's over the disdain of who we are. You have a fear about being found out. Um, there's an episode of Seinfeld where, uh, where Gary says to George Costanza, I've been living a lie. <laughs> and then George, with a smile, says back, just one? I've been living like 20, you know? And maybe, maybe you're really good at manipulating people. Maybe you're really good at lying or giving surfacy answers, never letting anybody know the real you. You've learned to survive and you feel trapped in your lies thinking that no one can ever really love you for you. Well, the resurrection of Jesus puts this fear to death as well. We no longer need to save face or earn approval because through Jesus, we're both fully known and fully loved by God. Through Jesus. You see, to be fully known and not be fully loved is terrifying, isn't it? To be fully loved and not really known is very superficial. But in the gospel, we are told and we are known fully as enemies of God. And yet, even while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us in love. Fully known, fully loved. This is the sort of acceptance we're offered only in the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So what's the next step of releasing your fear of being found out? It's embracing God's acceptance that only comes through Jesus. It only comes through Jesus. Your sin isn't that unique. Hear me out. Your pain isn't so outlandish. Your situation is not so screwed up that it's unable for God, the all-powerful, all-knowing, all-loving God, to give you his unconditional acceptance through Jesus. Stop running and start resting in this truth. And hear me, it's not free. Jesus paid for it fully so that it might be given to you for free, that you might learn to live free of the fear of others. No longer do you have to go into work waiting for that ultimate stamp of approval from your boss. No longer do you have to go to a family gathering, finally waiting for your mother or your father to say you're good enough. Finally, you can go home and be honest with your spouse and rest in gospel grace because your final stamp of approval isn't from your husband or your wife. It comes from God through Jesus Christ. That's what we get to rest in in this resurrection hope. This is what we have in Jesus. Believing that God will never leave you or forsake you no matter what skeletons you think you have hidden in the closet. Now lastly, your greatest fear may be unlike these others. Um, You may have the fear that this is all for nothing. The dark whisper that life is meaningless. The author of the book of Ecclesiastes in Scripture wrestled through this as well. God's word wrestles through all of our own wrestlings and gives us guidance here. 
But I want you to hear this. You're not some accidental organization of stardust that came together by an accident or a cosmic oops. Go have purpose with that, right? Oh, great. But only the resurrection replaces the fear of meaningless, meaninglessness with the promise of purpose. How? Because now we can know that death doesn't have the final say. If death is appointed to every man and woman and death is the end, then it is meaningless. It is purposeless. Death is at the core of every single one of our fears. It's the ultimate fear. You know, Woody Allen (laughs) once wrote, it's not that I'm afraid to die. I just don't want to be there when it happens, right? I mean, we we can all resonate with that. But because of the resurrection of Jesus, we know that those who put their hope in him will have everlasting life here now that breaks through the pain of addiction and sin, but also everlasting life even that surpasses the death that is appointed to all men. God calls us to now, with purpose, to proclaim this very news until he returns. This is a purpose that death can't even disrupt. I mean, think about the early disciples. This is one of the key arguments for me why I believe Jesus has risen again. You have this ragtag group of guys and gals who all abandon him, pretty much, except for a few, at the cross, And then within a month's time, hundreds of people now proclaim to have seen him and have touched and interacted with the resurrected Christ such they have such courage to die for him. Who dies for a lie? Sociopaths, right? (laughs) Idiots. But hundreds who proclaim to have seen Jesus? People don't have hallucinations in large groups. And if you do not believe their testimony, you therefore judge their testimony to be insane. You proclaim them to be a bunch of nuts who wasted their lives. But if they're right, if, they, if Jesus really did rise from the dead, which I do believe he did, then they're more right than we could ever imagine. In which case we need to go to the feet of Jesus and worship him and allow him to proclaim over us, do not be afraid. Rest your fears at my feet and now go with purpose, on purpose. You see, the next step in challenging your fear of it all being for nothing is interestingly enough to do something, to live on gospel purpose rather than by accident. And you can only live on purpose when you're given purpose. Only the resurrection can give invincible life with invincible purpose. So this morning, as we end Ask yourself, what are you afraid of? Jesus' resurrection is the death of fear. You don't have to fear what you've done. You don't have to fear being found out. You don't have to fear that it's all for nothing. This isn't good advice. The gospel is not good advice, something that we need to do. It's good news of what Jesus has already done for us that we receive freely because Jesus paid it all. It's for all those who place their faith in Jesus alone that we can rest that God fully knows you, loves you fully, unconditionally, and has given you an invincible purpose. We've been walking through the book of Hebrews over this past year and just reminded of Hebrews chapter 2, verses 14 through 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, Jesus himself likewise partook of the same things, that through death, He might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, 
and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Christ has died. Christ has risen. Christ will come again. Let your fears die with him and experience the great joy of life everlasting by trusting in the resurrection of Jesus this morning. Let's pray. Our Father, we are so first humbled that you would send your son while we were enemies of you to die for us, to live a life we couldn't live in our own sin and brokenness, to die the death we deserve to die and instead die in our place and then to rise again on the third day to give us a hope of everlasting life, a sign of the life that is to come, that this life isn't all that there is. God, may we rest in this truth. May we receive this good news. By the power of your Holy Spirit, convict our hearts and our minds to all the more lean and trust Jesus. We pray all this in his name. Amen.